This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is an educational, expository, live encyclopedia of fresh foods that you can hold in the palm of your hand. Did you know that you can substitute butter with avocado in some baked recipes? Put on your chef's hat and let the application section sprout ideas for culinary quests. Still craving more? We would never leave you with an empty plate. Within the Specialty Produce app, you will find our ever-growing recipe collection of more than 15,000 recipes, where you can build and save your own cookbook for future kitchen endeavors. Stay hungry, friends. Download today on Apple or Android and get things cooking. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes-funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Hello. I'm Don Williamson. And I'm Elaine Artizzoni. And you are on the front burner. How fun. Before we get started today, I want to remind you that it's February, and February 23rd, Chef de Cuisine is having their Chef of the Year dinner. They're having it at the Elks Lodge in Chula Vista. If you go to our website, sdchefs.org, you'll find out all about it. There's going to be jazz and food and wine and prizes and awards. And the only thing that we need is to have you there. You can get your tickets, get more information, all at sdchefs.org. If you listen to us, you know, I'm not really jealous of many things, but I am really jealous of my guest today. And I'm going to take about 30 seconds to tell you why. When I first moved out here from New York and was a writer for the San Diego Union. I just fell in love with San Diego, but more so I fell in love with Mexico. Hmm. I would be in Mexico once a week, and I'm really serious about that. Started out with the Tijuana runs and then expanded. Left uh, the Union, went to work for a paper in Philadelphia, and got involved in an exchange program where I lived in Mexico City for a month and traveled around the area, and just was enraptured with the people, with the beautiful country, and certainly with the food. Uh, When I finally left the business after coming back from Asia, the first place I wanted to come back to was San Diego. That's why I came back here and settled, and always had the thought that I wanted to move to Mexico. I'd looked at property, I'd thought about it, but I never did it, never had the nerve to make that move And quite frankly, with some of the problems that were going on then in terms of the cartels and and border scares, I stopped going as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Our guest today, our guest today has spent uh, the past seven years 
doing what I wish I had done. Scott Koenig is a gringo in Mexico. I think I first became aware of him on a trip to Mexico when I saw one of his articles in a English-speaking newspaper there. And Scott, welcome to On the Front Burner. Don, thanks. It's my pleasure to be here. Elaine, how are you? I'm doing great. It's fun to have you. It's fun to have you. Fun to be here. Great. Um, I know you started in 2013, and for... Our readers that don't know you, we might want to take just a minute to say, you know, how did all that happen? Why did you start doing that? I know that you had a similar path as I did going down and hanging out on the Tijuana side. Tell us how that moved you to a gringo in Mexico. Sure. Well, you know, I moved to San Diego from the Midwest back in the mid, mid nineties, around 1994. And, um, it was astonishing that, hey, I moved to a place that's right across the border from Mexico. Um, you could actually, I was very, uh, um, how can I say this? I was very excited about the opportunity to be able to visit another country that I'd never visited before uh, by just driving 20 minutes south. So when we first uh, started, when I first started going to Baja, uh, we'd cross the border fairly regularly, once every few months perhaps. And we would do, like you, Don, we'd go to Tijuana. Uh, we'd hang out in Revolucion. We'd have the two-for-one tacos and the free margaritas. Um, we would go do our Christmas shopping uh, on Revolucion. We'd get everybody Mexican blankets or sombreros or the, the hoodies. Um, and uh, so that was really kind of my first impression of the country. And, of course, as you know, Tijuana uh, is a border city. So it's not all of Mexico. In fact, Mexico is so different. Right, it's varied. just scratching the surface. Exactly. So we started uh, venturing a little further south after that, and we go to Rosarito Beach. You know, Yay. big adventure, big step there. El Squid. Yes, yeah, uh-huh, Squid <laughs> Row. So um, uh, we would go down there, and we'd have lunch at La Fonda. Yeah. Uh, oh, know, yeah. They, they had the famous uh, Puerto Nuevo-style lobster there. Yeah. So I spent many uh, wasted afternoons, um, and when I had those afternoons, my wife, lovely wife Ursula, drove. Uh, but many afternoons, just sitting on the on the deck there, uh, enjoying very affordable lobster, rice, and beans. Uh, beautiful view of the Pacific. Whenever we had guests come and visit us in San Diego, we'd take them down there to uh, to show them, hey, here we are. This is Mexico. It's and right it's still across only what an hour and a half to Rosarito. Uh, it's about 20 minutes, actually, from mm-hmm. the border. So it's it's very close. So from here, 40-ish mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, because wow. from our front door in La Mesa, it's about 20 minutes yeah. to the border and then another 20 minutes. I forgot it's that close. Yeah, super close. Yeah. Um, One of the things I used to love about going down in that, that way, and it's a little further when I made the move to Puerto Nuevo, mm-hmm. was I began going there in the days when it was just the Ortega restaurants, and you'd go and you'd sit at a table, maybe with people you didn't know, and they'd bring out platters and rice and beans, and it was just mm-hmm. just amazing. I loved that. Yeah, and, and we've, you know, I've certainly been to Ortega's a few times, too, and you're right there at the end of uh, Puerto Nuevo, right by the ocean, kind of high up on a cliff overlooking the Pacific uh, it doesn't get too much better than that. Um, so, so Rosarito and, and Puerto Nuevo was kind of our second step into Mexico. Um, then in 2006, 2006, 2003, maybe 2003, uh, we went to a wedding in Mexico City. And this was my first venture south of Baja into the Mexican mainland. Um, I was very hesitant at first. Like we were discussing earlier, Don, people have a lot of uh, – 
perceptions and some misperceptions about what happens in, in Mexico. And I'd always heard Mexico City polluted, uh, full of crime. You don't want to take a taxi anywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very reluctant. Uh, my lovely wife said, well, uh, if you don't want to go to our friend's wedding in Mexico City, I'll go without you. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, hey. So uh, we did go to the wedding in Mexico City, and it was fantastic. Uh, our yeah. first day there, we we were at a restaurant, a big family restaurant, huge. Um, Arroyo, it was called. And I had my first taste of uh, birria de chivo, which is goat birria, which is a slowly stewed Mexican uh, dish. Delicious. Um, for the first time, kind of experienced that true central Mexican hospitality. Uh, people saying this restaurant is your home. Uh, welcome. Everybody's hugging. Everybody's mm. kissing. Uh, it's such a warm culture in Mexico, which yeah. is another thing that, that drives me south pretty often. Uh, the wedding was fantastic. And then we spent another week after the wedding in San Miguel de Allende. Well, I was just going to ask you if that was – because that's really close, isn't it, or no? It, it was close. I think I want to say it was maybe four-hour Oh, it's drive. not that close. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But I mean that close-ish. Is that where you'd fly in to go to San Miguel, to Mexico City, and then that whole drive? Or can you uh, actually fly there? You can fly into León, which is – or, or a, a Corretero. Uh, both are a lot closer than Mexico City. I hear, I hear wonderful things about that town. And I actually, just back to the Mexico City, I I hear it's just a beautiful and incredibly in, um, involved cultural city. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to have tremendous culture and lots of the arts. And um, it's a huge city. Isn't it, it population-wise one, one of the it's biggest o- cities? It's over 20 million people. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I think they were the second or third largest city. Yeah. On Earth, uh, Sao Paulo is the first. I'm not sure what yeah. their population is, um, and and the the population of Mexico City is very fluid uh, as well because it's hard for them to get an exact census count because people are all over the place. Right. Yeah. And, and in terms of culture, one of the things that I found amazing about Mexico City is the number of Europeans and yeah, Asians that I've are heard. there mm-hmm. and, and populated and come, and it's just. Us that go to the beach while <laughs> they go there and experience the real culture. But I want to move a little bit, Scott, mm-hmm. and talk about how this became a business because that certainly is what it is for you. It has become a business? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, it's really – at this point, it doesn't pay the bills. It's a business that uh, sustains a lifestyle. Uh, the the little about, amount of money I do make from tours, my book – um, some of the publications and websites I write for goes right back into our adventures and our lifestyle down there. Uh, and what really got me started was after that trip to San Miguel de Allende. I was so impressed with the rich culture, uh, the food, the friendliness of the people, um, the history, the architecture, the smells, the sights, uh, the sounds of Mexico that I started writing uh, about our, our trips down there. So we'd go to San Miguel. I'd come home and write you know, 5,000 words on the trip. Um, same with a trip to Morelia and Pazcuaro. So I had all this writing I was doing, kind of a travel journal, um, and I started a gringo in Mexico actually as kind of just a, a depository uh, for those writings so mm-hmm. that my friends and family could read our travel. It started as what, a blog kind it, of thing, it was a, It was a travel, yeah. online travel journal, okay. if you will. Um, you know, this is the early, mid, mid-2000s mid maybe when – Blogging was kind of a new thing. Right, just kind of starting. Yeah, and, and it was never my intention to go wide or make any money or, you know, get thousands of followers because even social media was kind of nascent sure. back at that point. But it was just something for me to do that was fun, uh, and I wanted to share my art adventures with my family uh, and friends. So that's that's really how the gringo got started. Then it was um, 
2012-2013, I hooked up with a woman named Carla White. And Carla is an expat who at the time was living in Ensenada, and she was the editor for Baja.com, which was a popular website at the time. So she suggested I start reporting on events down there, which I did. My first uh, kind of newsy post as a gringo in Mexican, Mexico was 2013. I wrote about the Rosarito Art Festival down there. Um, and then Carla hired me essentially to start writing more. Um, as I was visiting more often, I had so many stories to tell that I would write for Baja.com uh, as well as my blog because I had such an abundance of experience. Right. I just had to get out. That's great. Yeah. And, and it kind of uh, took on its life from there. And then the food thing really came uh, in 2013. I met Martin San Ramon, who, Don, you may know. He's mm-hmm. the uh, the executive chef at Dobson's. Uh, and Martin took me to Acapulco with him in 2013 for the first Foro Mundial de la Gastronomica Mexicana, the mm. World Forum on Mexican mm-hmm. Cuisine. And it really showcases kind of the uh, different regional cuisines of Mexico. And they had all the traditional cocineras uh, outside at lunch every day with their wood fires, uh, cooking traditional Mexican food, much of which I'd never heard of before. You know, I mean, we come from a culture that's chimichangas, tacos, you know, burritos as big as your arms. Suddenly here I am having uh, rabbit, you know, stewed rabbit on a a delicious uh, house-made flour nixtamalized corn tortilla. So that really opened up the, um, the door if you will, to the wider range of cuisine available in Mexico. Uh, subsequently, I also met people uh, who did tours in Baja. There's a friend of mine, Fernando Gaxiola, uh, and he's a big ambassador to the region, has been for many years. And he kind of turned me on to what was happening in the Valle de Guadalupe and uh, the food scene here closer to home in Baja. So between those uh, two influences, um, I became very interested in Mexican cuisine as well as what was happening here locally uh, with Baja California food, and that's when I really started getting more into writing about food, uh, as well as some of the travel and the culture and the events that were happening down there. Great. Okay, I'd like to get a little historical perspective. You and I talked on the phone and, and briefly today about the changes in the Baja and the Baja food scene, and oddly enough, nine eleven was really kind of a turning point in terms of Baja cuisine. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, what what happened is that, especially in Tijuana, places like Rosarito, uh, closer to the border, food, uh, cuisine, and culture at the time was being very specifically targeted toward uh, the the U.S. market, people coming down from San Diego or uh, or Los Angeles. And after 9-11, the borders started backing up because, you know, we had an increased kind of a lockdown uh, on the country. So you couldn't go down on a Sunday – you know, have lunch and then come to the border and cross in a half hour like you used to be able to. Suddenly lines were backing up for hours hours and hours on end. I've had yeah. people waiting in those regular lanes, uh, friends of mine, on a holiday weekend yeah. for up to eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been stuck for four before. Yeah. Yeah. My, my record is four and a half hours oh. at San Ysidro. Mine's about four also. Yeah. yeah. The Baja 1000. Yeah. Yeah. It's got me. Every <laughs> time. And on holiday weekends, forget yeah. about yeah. it. So so people stopped going down, and then that kind of went hand-in-hand, hand, you know, just a few years after that. Uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, some of the cartels started kind of acting out uh, a little bit more publicly. So there was some gunplay and, and some real danger uh, on the streets of especially Tijuana and, and, and all around that the world. That whole border. Revolucion area, right? Isn't it? I'm yeah. They say, don't cross it. Right. 
And, and I actually had a friend in Tijuana yeah. at the time who said, you might want to stop coming down yeah. uh, for a while. It's getting kind of scary down here. Yeah. Um, so we did. And a lot of other people did too. And while we were gone, uh, what happened in Tijuana and elsewhere is they started reinventing the scene for the people that live there. And from tourists coming from other parts of Mexico, Mexico City, Guadalajara, uh, Monterey. And they kind of reclaimed uh, a lot of the culture, especially the cuisine, uh, for themselves. Yeah. And I think, yeah, part of that result has been that, you know, you had people who suddenly weren't looking for tacos and burritos anymore. People that were looking for native ingredients classically cooked. And I just found some of the most amazing restaurants as I've gone back there. In the second half of the show, we'll probably talk more about the, the, the Guadalupe Valley. But just amazing, amazing restaurants there that have cuisine that no one would think, well, this isn't Mexican food. Well, sure it is. Right. I, I have a question just because we're talking about Mexican food. When you were talking about the rabbit, it kind of inspired my question. When you've got the, you know, the classic is cilantro. Of course, we always think of cilantro in Mexican food, adding that freshness that cuts the spice. Um, what else herb-wise? I know there's a lot of chilies and with the mole, but what, what other fresh herbs are kind of popular down there? I don't even know. Yeah, there's, there's a leaf called hoja uh, santo, uh-huh. and um, it, it adds kind of almost like a, a very rich minty taste. If you go to Pujol in Mexico City, uh, Chef Enrique Alvarez's team there, they actually take like a whole leaf of this hoja santo, and it's got a very herbal, uh, herbaceous taste to it, and molds that into a corn tortilla. And that's delicious. I mean, mm. it really has a lot of flavor. Yeah. Um, uh, it's really in Baja, more so about the ingredients, I think, than some of the spices, because you're so close to two um, seas. You've got right, the Sea of Cortez, so you've got the Pacific Ocean. So there's a lot happening there. Um, you know, and then another thing about, of course, the flavor of Mexican food is the abundance and the variety of different types of chilies down there. Right. You know, whether it's uh, in a salsa uh, or as a powder right. or as a whole chili, you know, that adds a lot of flavor to the food as well. Um, and it's not always apparent. You know, it's not always a big glop of salsa on top of a taco. It could be something like birria, which is made with uh, chilies guajillo and uh, ancho, you know, a deeper, smokier uh, chili taste. So that gives yeah. Mexican food a lot of its depth. There is flavor. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of depth and a lot of richness. Mm-hmm. I, that's the one thing that I I haven't found a lot of, and I've been to Guadalupe Valley a couple of times and I love it. I think the food is beautiful and the, the freshness of the farm produce and all that is incredible. I have not seen a lot of herbs and that's one mm-hmm. of the things that being, I'm big on, I'm Italian and so we eat, mm-hmm. we eat so much in the way of herbs and it brightens so much food. So I'm always curious there's a lot of and there's a lot of stewed foods and uh-huh. grilled foods and um, maybe quick. Would you say quick flash fry? Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's fair, but not really not a lot, a lot of, of fresh. Uh, fried food. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean more like a flash fry and a saute pan kind oh, yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then not so, and then produce, but not so much in that mm-hmm. herby. Lots of fresh, you know, like right. you don't see rosemary and sage and thyme and oregano so yeah. often. But you? you know what's interesting, though, and, and this has always amazed me about Mexico, is everything is grown there. Yeah, I know the you produce know, is all amazing. All of those herbs, and the animals all of those there. vegetables, <laughs> yeah. all of them are there. Yeah. They just were not part of the indigenous 
cooking. Well, they you're were, in a desert part right, of the place. They I mean, were sent, no, they were sent up here. It's like even yeah. now, if you go to the Asian markets, which I spend a lot of time yeah. at, mm-hmm. so much of the produce there is Product from Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. whether it's the, um, the little tomatoes, the uh, the basil, sure. or even the uh, uh, various vegetables there that, mm-hmm. that you would think would are coming from Asia are all grown in Mexico because mm. there's. That, that's what I loved about the time I spent in Mexico traveling for a month. I had no idea about the abundance and the richness and the beauty of that yeah. country. And we won't get into politics, but it just uh-huh. hurts me that the political structure there crippled the, that culture in oh, terms of being everything it could have been. It's terrible. Yeah, it, it, But that's that's here really in the States, Don, more so than Mexico. The first time we toured Valle de Guadalupe was 2012. And uh, we were in a tour van full of people from Mexico City. So while we were gone, the Mexican people mm-hmm. heard that, hey, there's this burgeoning food scene here. Uh, and they kind of came and filled the gap, frankly. And they're still coming. Yeah. And a lot of chefs, a lot of young chefs came down then yeah. to Tijuana, to Rosarito. Mm-hmm. Not as much Rosarito yet. Certainly to Guadalupe and other places. And just began creating food. Creating yeah. amazing food. And we were talking earlier that there is there are, there is are indigenous ingredients being utilized to make classic dishes that no way would someone in this country say this is Mexican food, but right. it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, and there are even a couple of chefs. Uh, my friend Gilberto Morales uh, used to cook in the Valle. He's down in in uh, Cabo now cooking, but he would use the the basis of the Kumayai diet was this really thin acorn. Um, very hmm. bitter, but they would grind it up and, and kind of, you know, use it as, as we would use wheat. So that was a staple of a lot of their food. Uh, Hilberto would, would carry that forth. Uh, there's a cook in um, Tecate. Her name is Alicia Leon. She's a very good friend of mine. She owns a restaurant there called Malinali. And she cooks using a lot of the kumayai uh, methods and ingredients that you, you don't really see being used uh, that specifically in a lot of places, uh, even in Baja, California. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. What are some of the favorite things that you've eaten? Uh, with with uh, as far as that's concerned, um, uh, Hilberto made a ceviche that had five chili peppers in it, mm. and that was delicious. Very I hearty, love ceviche, really good, uh, amazing depth of flavor. Uh, my one of my favorite dishes in Baja to have is when I go to visit Alicia uh, in Tecate. She does a, a canejo or a rabbit barbacoa. Oh that yeah. Is, yeah, I don't say this often, and my editor hates when I do, but it's to die for. Yeah, it's not my favorite expression, but I uh-huh. do understand. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, my my editor would say, it's "No good. food's worth dying for." I know exactly. Um, but she she takes this, she makes this uh, barbacoa in the Sinaloan style, and it's she. I think she uses a blend of like three or four different chiles. Um, she adds uh, onion and green olives to it. Uh, serves it in a big, you know, uh, banana leaf, open banana leaf with her house-made tortillas. She makes her tortillas uh, fresh, and she nixtamalizes the corn, which is a process when you take lime or call. It's a calcium – I can't even think of the – I don't even know the scientific we'll term. We'll just say bicarbonate. Bicarbonate. <laughs> sure. It's, 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 it's essentially lime. Uh, and so what you do is you blend that in with the corn, let it sit overnight, uh, and it makes the corn more digestible. Okay, well- we're heading across the border for lunch as soon as we I know. <laughs> Let's um, do it. In the next part of the show, we're going to talk more about restaurants and food. So I want to get a couple of things off the plate here this mm-hmm. time. 
One is Elaine was asking, was wondering for people that don't go down a ladder or are still hesitant to go down. But Elaine asked, is it safe and, and mm-hmm. easy to navigate? And should you have a guide or talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, to, I, I would need to be, I need to have some convincing and I need to okay. convince my husband. But I know that I have been to Mexico more than he has. And um, he's definitely a little bit more of a, you know, careful with security type things than sure. I am. And um, I have friends who have gone and been told by the border guys, why Why did you come over here? You shouldn't mm-hmm. be coming over here. It's not safe for you. And yet, Such great ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And yet I have other people who go all the time. And yeah. I used to go camping in San Felipe with friends. And mm-hmm. I, I always have enjoyed it when I've been there. Spoiler, so, spoiler alert. I have never in my life had an incident in Mexico. And I cannot say that about the United States. Sure. I was held up at gunpoint some years ago uh, in Dayton, Ohio, my hometown. I've spent thousands of hours in Mexico, uh, all over Mexico, and not just the super touristy places, but some fairly out-of-the-way places too. And uh, I've never had an incident. Yeah. Knock on wood, I've been very fortunate. I do know people who have had incidents. I, I do too. So mm-hmm. what is what are some of the best guidelines you can suggest? Be, be, be smart. Use your head. Just like when you're traveling anywhere, whether you're going to Chicago or Tijuana mm-hmm. – uh, know the neighborhood you're going to. Uh, for the most part, stick to the the on the beaten path areas in Tijuana. That would be Revolucion, uh, La Cacho, which is a very kind of popular, more upscale neighborhood. Uh, Zona Rio down there, about around Mercado Hidalgo. There's really not a lot of reason to go into some of the outskirts or colonias uh, as far as food or anything culturally that you'd want to see. And that's where a lot of the the gang problems are happening. Yeah. Um, you do hear about the occasional death of an American, but that tends to be sensationalized here. You know, if one American dies, you hear about it. Right. I uh, think about if every time an American was shot uh, or murdered or stolen from uh, here in the United States, if you heard about that, that's all the news yeah. would be. So keep in mind, those incidents are few and far between. And I think Scott was hit, hit a really important p- point. There are places in San Diego I'm not going to go to. Oh, no, of course. You know, and Absolutely. there are places everywhere. Absolutely. But what happens is somehow we have this American tourist mentality that everyone is there to be our host and mm-hmm. we can just go anywhere. Now, you have people living and they have issues and concerns and all kinds mm-hmm. of people. And I think that's the real thing that we don't realize because, honestly, traveling around around. Europe and Asia and Mexico, it's the ugly Americans that that, that I'm most appalled by than anything else I've seen. Being appalled is different from being beheaded, though. Yeah, but... So I'm just saying, you you know, you you hear about how many murders have actually taken place in a year in Mexico. It's astonishing. It's it's a lot. I mean, I think there were 2,500 homicides in Tijuana last year. But those were ninety 95% of those were people that were in cartels or gangs. Sure. I think you know? it much like, – so I, we have this conversation too about Naples, mm-hmm. Italy. So uh-huh. everyone I've ever known who goes to Pompeii says, oh, we stayed away from Naples. Mm-hmm. And I we just laugh because we think Naples is the coolest city ever. And right. I have friends who are from Naples and they, they – Say you know they say oh you got to mm. go here you got to go here you got to yeah. go here it's wonderful it's beautiful and it is all those yeah. things and it's also some place you need to be careful agree yeah I, and you, I think you, it's very similar yeah I mean if you're not going to to, to Baja or Mexico to to buy drugs uh, to sell drugs or to get involved in that trade mm-hmm. uh, or look for trouble you're going to be fine just like yeah. you would anywhere else yeah. do your homework mm-hmm. 
a guide uh, is a good idea, Don. You touched on that for your hurt, first time or two. Right? Yeah, go down. Mm-hmm. There are tours that take you – That you, you can get on a bus. They'll take you over. You'll hit two or three restaurants in Tijuana. There are tours that go down to um, the Guadalupe Valley, which we'll talk about in the next segment. So be sure and t- tune in for that one. But the one thing I want you to be sure and do is I want you to get seven days in the valley – this is a Baja California wine country cuisine. Scott wrote that, and you can pick that up wherever you buy your books, and I think you'll be amazed. Mm-hmm. And for now, I'm Don Williamson. And I'm Elaine Hardisoni. Thanks so much for being with us, Scott. My pleasure, Don. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, that was Elaine. really cool. And you've been on the front burner. <laughs>